Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of One Man's Triumph Through Life. I'm your host, uh, JR. I just want to say thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for continually to pour out and message me. Um, just thank you guys for your support. And I appreciate all the feedback, you know, whenever it comes to the questions or, you know, and if I do have the answers, I'll give, you know, the, my best answer that I can. So, but we left off at the Valley Edition Part A, and so we're just going to jump back into it, um, Valley Edition Part B. So, yeah, so I left off um, the funeral, you know, and so when that person got killed, you know, um, it definitely did something to me, you know. And so it was definitely sad because, you know, knowing that person and his family and, you know, the people surrounding them. You know, I was which I was real close to, you know, it hurt them and in many ways, you know, and so just being at that funeral, you know, brought a lot of heavy hearts, you know, and um, just a lot of people was, you know, sad and, you know, it's a funeral. So a lot of crying and different things like that. So um, but at that funeral, I had the opportunity to meet his younger brothers you know, and so, and his younger brothers kind of didn't take to me so lightly, you know, because obviously I was the only black dude there. And, you know, the dude that died, one of, you know, a dear friend of mine was part of one of the biggest Mexican gangs out there, you know, 18th Street, you know, and so anybody knows 18th Street, like I said, it's a huge gang in SoCal um, and all over the U.S. So, um, you know, so them being from the gang. I don't know if the youngest brother was from the gang yet, but I know the one right below him was, you know, and so, you know, being introduced to them, you know, was a little awkward, but right off the back, they were chill, you know, and um, so I kind of took to them kind of easy, you know, and so, um, yeah, the during this time, I think I was like 17, man, and um I definitely, I think I was still in school. If not, I was definitely on my way out. And by meaning way out, I mean drop out, you know. And so um, I started, you know, doing little things like smoking weed, you know, like I mentioned, with my smoking weed with my cousin the first time, you know. And so I continued to smoke weed, you know, and um, go that route. And then I, eventually I ended up selling weed, you know. And so, <laughs> um, and it's funny because the weed that I was selling was from, you know, an uncle of mine, you know, and so, and me and my uncle, we were super close, you know, and so I would do pretty much anything, you know, for my uncle just to look out for him and stuff. So he kind of talked me into like, look, I got weed, you can sell, we can kind of make some money off of it, which I was like, okay, cool. You know, at that time, I didn't really have a job or anything. I was a high school drop off. So any type of income, you know, being that age and just hanging out in the streets was good, you know, and so, um, from weed, you know, um, I moved up to selling uh, meth, you know, crystal meth, you know, and so, and if you know that drug, that drug is real strong, it's potent, you know, it's easy to get addicted on it, you know, and so um, I had never heard nothing about meth, you know, I had heard around the block, you know, here and there that certain people was smoking it or whatever, but didn't really know nothing about it as much, you know, and so I was like, shoot, like, if this can bring more money, then why not, you know, and so that's what I started doing. I started selling um, crystal meth, 
you know, at the age of 17, you know, and so um, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, just all I seen was money, you know, and so um, I started doing that, you know, and so but the people I was selling to was the people on the block, you know, and so most of the people on the block, if you weren't from 18th Street, you was just a local like you know, one of the homies or just a local smoker that did it, you know, and so I was selling it to those people, but I was making good money and bringing it back to my uncle. And my uncle was giving me money in return, you know, for making those sales. And um, one thing that my uncle told me was like, as long as I never try it, I'm good, you know, and so I kind of took heed to that, didn't really try it. I stayed smoking weed and different things like that and drinking with the homies on the block, but never tried math, you know, during that time, you know, and so, um, so yeah, one day I remember, um, it was funny, we were on the block and there was an empty apartment building on the second floor of one of these, uh, apartments and it was right where the homie, um, I threw stayed, you know, and so I think it was upstairs and, um, I went there to sell weed, you know, and I had a little bit of meth on me and so, you know, I ain't gonna say no names or who was up in there, but it was a couple of people in there and um, they offered to buy meth from me. So I sold it to them. I also sold them some weed and um, they asked for me to actually like kick back, hang out or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll hang out. I don't have nothing else to do. So why not? You know, and so I started hanging out inside this empty apartment building or whatever and you know smoking weed first I smoked weed and stuff and so I was high and so I was like I'm about ready to go and so one of the dudes you know um he was from 18 um and he was actually the brother of the homie that got killed you know and so he was like well have you ever tried shit before and I was like nah, you know, and back in those days, shit was referred to as meth, you know, and so I was like, nah, I'm good, I just smoke weed, you know, and um, I'm just going to head home, and so he was like, nah, try it, try it, you know, and so him and a couple of other people was up in there, so I was like, all right, well, fuck it, I ain't got nothing else to do, so might as well try it, you know, and so that night was the first night I tried crystal meth, you know, and so, you know, um, it did something. It did something to me, you know. Um, I remember being high off of it, you know, and just feeling a certain way, you know. And the way I felt off of it was like I had drunk like 12 cups of coffee, you know, and it gave me like this boost of energy, you know, like I can fucking run through a brick wall or whatever the fuck it was, you know. And so that was different from smoking weed. It was the complete opposite, you know, of smoking weed. So I remember, you know, that high feeling for the first time, you know, and so the first time I didn't really get hooked on it, you know, the second time I don't even think I was hooked, you know. It wasn't until about the third time where it was like, okay, I was looking for it more. And that alone, I wasn't smoking it on my own, but I was, you know, pretty much like, hey, whoever got it, I'm down to smoke. Or if I had something on me, I wouldn't smoke until somebody came around type thing. So that was it. Like, I was hooked, you know, on that drug. You know, and so from there, um, I started looking for it daily, you know. And um, if anything I can do to get my hands on it, you know, I would do it, you know. And including, like, stealing, you know, I would steal 
go to the store, steal bottles and go back to the block and sell them, you know, um, different things like that. It got as bad as me stealing from my own family. You know, um, I remember one day I was um, asked to spend the night with my cousin and my cousin uh, Martel's house. And he only stayed like two streets over, like I said, you know, and so I remember that morning after I spent the night, I woke up and I was kind of like definitely a drug addict. So I was fiending, you know, and so I didn't have no money or anything like that. And my auntie and my uncles, everybody was gone. So what I did was I took a backpack and I emptied it out and I put like my cousin's PlayStation in it. I put my cousin's shoes in it, anything I can get and go back to that block and sell just for a fix, you know. And so I did that that day. You know, I stole from my own family, you know. And so and I'm sure not to today. I'm not sure if I ever said sorry to him for doing it. But, you know, my family and I have a real good, you know, relationship now. So I'm sure they forgive me for it, especially my cousin, you know. So but, yeah, I took it. You know, and I I took it, I sold it just to get some shit, you know, and just looking for that next hit, you know. And so I was definitely approaching rock bottom, you know. And so and, you know, after my friend died, like I said, I was hanging out with his brothers from 18, you know. And so we was hanging out and we were going deeper into San Fernando Valley. You know, I remember nights just walking through and um, just stealing for people. I remember one time there was a guy in the car. And I guess he was drunk or whatever, so he pulled over to the side to sleep. And we walked past, and we noticed that the door was unlocked, you know, and this dude sleeping in his car. So I opened the door. I opened the door, reached over, and snatched his car stereo out. I had, like, some pliers. I had a screwdriver. I couldn't tell you guys the rest what I had, but, you know, I had some stuff to get access to his car stereo. So, you know, I stole it. I took it, went running off. And it was crazy because the guy woke up right when I took it, you know, and uh, when I took it and snatched it, one of the other homies like kind of shoved him back into his car and we took off running down the street, his stereo and all, you know, never really looked back. But we went to sell it and got some more, you know, shit for it and mapped and smoked it, you know, and got higher, you know. And so um, all that stuff just continued, man. I remember you know, going home to my mom's house and not being able to sleep, just tripping off like different things, like thinking the FBI's on my roof, you know, waking my brother up, telling him that somebody was on our roof, you know, and, um, you know, him looking at me crazy, you know, and me just being high off the drug, you know, and really not thinking that I had a problem, you know, and just continually doing stuff. And so um, that happened and my mom already knew I was hooked on drugs and word had got around that I had stole from my auntie. So my auntie knew as well, you know, and so my mom tried to get me into rehab, you know, one day and she actually drove me. She told me I'm going to rehab and, you know, me being a son that I was, I was never disrespectful to my mom or anything like that. So I was just like, okay, whatever, you know? And so I remember her dropping me off. I, I wasn't even there for like two hours before I hit the back wall. You know, I jumped the wall and went running right back to the block, you know. And so when I went running back to the block, the following day, I showed up at my mom's house. My mom basically told me, like, I couldn't stay there no more, you know, and that she was moving. And so I didn't believe her, you know, just 
thinking about, you know, like, well, you're not going to leave me type thing. I'm your son. And on top of that, I was for in my mind, I was one of her favorite sons, you know, and so um, I didn't think my mom was going to do that, you know, and so but I get the just behind it, you know, and so my mom had to make a which I'm sure was a hard decision for her to leave me out, you know, and um, leave me out in the streets and move back to Long Beach. And so I was homeless. You know, I remember being homeless, living on the street. I had nowhere to go, you know. And so the only friends that was there for me was Arturo and his sisters, Priscilla, Yadira. You know, they took me in off the streets, you know. And so I remember sleeping with them, you know, and living with them. And their mom and dad was so sweet, like cooking me dinner, gave me a place to lay my head, you know. Um, And I was and still to today, I'm forever thankful for that. Because I know if it wasn't for them taking me in like that and not definitely be either dead or locked up somewhere just from doing stupid crap, you know. And so um, they saved me, you know, from from certain things, you know. And so but during this time, I still wasn't off the drug, you know, and um, the closest friend that I had was Arturo, you know, and so he was kind of like the dude that. He was kind of like my little brother because he tagged around with me. You know, anybody on the block can vouch this, that anytime you've seen Arturo, you've seen me, you know, or anytime you've seen me, you've seen Arturo, you know. And so, um, you know, we were just road dogs. You know, I looked at him as my little brother, you know. And so um, Arturo hadn't tried meth ever, you know, but as he got older, he became more curious, right? Because it's the product of your environment, you know? And so um, I was doing it. The guy he was looking up to or the guy that he thought, you know, looked at as a brother was doing it, you know? And so um, I was doing it. And so when, and this is kind of tough, so I knew Arturo wanted to try it. You know, and so he came to me one day. I don't know how he got it or whatever. I don't know if he spent the little money that he had. Um, But he said that he wanted to try it. And so, but he came to me because he wanted to try it, you know. And so just by him coming to me, you know, it, it said a lot of what he thought about me and stuff like that. But I was so hooked and lost in my own ways that I didn't think of the impact that it will have on him. So I was like, all right, well, you kind of like my little brother. So if I want anybody to try it or you to smoke it with anybody, it's going to be me, you know? And so the first time I threw tried it, it was with me, you know? And so, and still to today, that kind of weighs on me, you know, just because I know how his life went and spiraled out of control, you know, and the story that he has behind everything, you know? And so I felt like in a way that was my fault because I didn't speak up and say, nah, this isn't for you or anything like that. I think I was just fiending at the time and um, said, fuck it, why not? You know, and so he got hooked, you know, and it ended up being both of us out there in the streets, you know, hooked on it, running in and out of people's houses and doing stupid shit like that, you know, and so um, that still weighs on me today you know and so but anyway just getting back to the block you know we have friends friends that did it too 
you know, and um, one friend that I remember the most, we called him uh, Reefer. You know, I'm not going to say his real name, but Reefer was chill, man. Reefer had this vibe about him. And we called him Reefer just because he liked smoking weed a lot, <laughs> you know, point blank. You know, and so that's why we called him Reefer. You know, if he didn't smoke it, he had it on him. And, and if he didn't have it on him, he was for sure looking for it. You know, and so Reefer would come out at his house looking for everybody else on the block, you know, and um, always had a smile on his face, always had a positive attitude, you know, and just was chill, you know, and so, but the thing with Reef was like, he was from like a tagging crew or something like that, you know, during the time. He wasn't associated with 18th Street, but he just, you know, did what young kids did, tag on things and started a tagging crew and different things like that. And so, and these tagging crews out in the valley was pretty serious, you know, because they had rival tagging crews and stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, word got around that there was a rival tagging crew that had to join one of the gangs out there. And one of the gangs, I, I believe it was called the Violin Boys or whatever. And, you know, if you're from North Hollywood, you're familiar with the street Violin, you know. And so it was a big Hispanic gang during the time or trying to make a name for themselves, you know. And so in order for these dudes to get put on, they had to put in work you know, as if any other gang, you know, and so um, one of these dudes had beef with Reefer, you know, and he was trying to get put on Violent Boys, and so in order for him to get put on, he had to do it, catch a body type thing, you know, and so um, it's crazy because you never forget the first night ever being shot at, you know, I don't care who you are, you know, whether it's, you know, you grew up in the hood and heard gunshots daily or you grew up in fucking Beverly Hills and never heard them before you know um, there's something about that that scares the shit out you and you'll never forget it you know and so the first night I ever got shot at you know I was on the corner of Beck and Sylvan on a block posted and um these dudes came rolling past, you know, and we knew who it was because we knew who they were out to get, you know. They were always searching for reefer, you know. And so I remember just standing out there and um, we were smoking and we seen the car drive past. But when they drove past, they kept going. So my guess is that they drove down the street and parked somewhere and got out on foot, you know. And so I'm hanging out there on the block. We're smoking, smoking weed or whatever. And uh, I look to the left of me and I see like four of my homies just take off running. And so I was shook, you know, not knowing what they were running for, you know. And so um, I look up and they're booking it down the street, running fast as hell, you know. And so by the time I look for to my right to see what they were looking at, I see like three dudes and one of them had like a sawed off shotgun. The other one had like, it looked to be like a Glock or whatever the hell it was in his hand. But I seen the shotgun. And when I looked, they were about, I say about 15 feet away from me, aiming straight for me. You know, and so I turned to my left and I took off running. And before the first gunshot went off, I heard a lady, she was sitting on her front porch right on the block, the same block. 
and she let out a a loud scream. Like, it was loud as fuck, like, super loud. And I guess it, like, started them because when they shot, like, the first shot missed. It kind of threw them off. And I heard it because it was loud as fuck. It was, like I said, like 10, 15 feet away from me. But I seen the bullets ricochet off the car next to me, you know, and it busted one of the car, the back car, the windows. And so I took off running, but Arturo was with me. And so as I'm running, I'm pushing Arturo and his back to run faster, you know. And so because my whole thing was I don't give a fuck if you hit me like I don't care. But my whole thing was getting him safe, you know, so I'm pushing them, telling them to run faster, run faster. And then the second shot let off. And then, like, you can hear, like, the other dude, whatever he had that was, he started letting off with it, too. And so, boom, boom, boom. I'm not feeling that I got hit, you know. And so I'm just running, running. And Arturo pulls off to the left of me. He runs inside his apartment buildings. And I'm not knowing if he went home or what. I'm just hoping that he was safe, you know. So I kept running. I run to the end of the block, I hit the fence, you know, and I still hear gunshots letting off. I'm not knowing who they're shooting at. In my head, they're shooting at me and only me, you know, and so I hit the fence and I, I stay there frozen, you know. I'm not checking for any bullet holes if I got hit or anything like that, you know, so I'm just sitting there shaking and shit, you know. And so I wait about five, ten minutes and I don't hear anything. So my uncle during his time stayed on the same block. So I hopped back over the brick wall, you know, and um, run straight to my uncle's house, you know, and I'm banging on the door. Uncle, let me in, let me in, you know. And so my uncle let me in and he's like, what's up? And I'm like, man, I just got shot at, you know. He's like, "If you are you hit? And I'm like, I don't think so, you know. And so I'm checking to see if I'm hit, you know, I'm checking to see if I'm shot and anything like that. And I'm like, no, I'm good, you know, I'm okay. So um, I'm not I'm not hit or anything. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm just going to head to my mom's house type thing and just go from there or whatever. So um, that was the scariest moment. That was one of the scariest moments in my life. man. you know, just being shot at for the first time like that and, you know, being involved in the drive by like I thought I was dead, you know, so. Um, that is forever burned in my memory, you know, and so, yeah, so that was me surviving my first drive-by, my first, you know, um, shootout, whatever the hell you want to call it, but, um, it was scary to me, you know, and so, after that, you know, the homie Reefer, he would still come out, and we would tell him, like, bro, they literally out here trying to kill you. You know, we already got shot at. They keep coming back and forth to the block, you know, different things like that. So you got to keep your ass in the house, you know. The Reaver was the type like, ah, fuck him. You know, he wasn't scared or anything like that. And I think he always had a gun on him. I'm not sure, you know. So he was known to protect himself or just, you know, known to be smart about how he moved along the block or whatever. And so I think um, one day... um, they were hanging out or whatever, and Reefer had came out, you know, and was looking for everybody. So he walked to the end of the block, you know, and so when he walked to the end of the block, he got there and um, it was just basically looking around for everybody, you know. And so 
when he got there, there was a car that pulled up behind him. He wasn't there even five minutes, you know, and so um, the car doors, from what I hear, like swung open and these dudes jumped out. And then obviously it was the dudes that had been looking for him for a long time. And um, so when they hopped out, they started shooting, you know, and so Reefer got shot in the back. And from my understanding, they shot him five times. So when he got hit, he got hit five times, you know, and fell to the ground and ended up dying right then and there, you know. And so when Reefer got killed, it was tough because, and this is a story that I, I was given. This is not from that count of my eyes or anything like that. This is just the story from, you know, my homie, you know, that was there on scene. And so when he got killed, I got a phone call, you know, come to the block, come to the block, they kill Reefer, you know. And so I got there, everything was taped off, you know, and um, I'm looking, you know, around and police looking at me, you know, I'm like, what happened? And police say some smart shit like, why were you the shooter? You know, something stupid just to, you know, get something out of me or whatever. But I didn't bite on it or whatever. So I just walked off. I went to the homie Arturo's house where his family and stuff was, and I walked inside and everybody was crying, you know, and so that's when I knew who it was, you know, and so I say within four or five months of that summer, 2006, um, two of my closest homies got killed on the same corner, you know, and so that hit home a lot, you know, and so it was kind of a wake up call, like, man, I need to change my life. You know, because the next shots that rang out, it could be me, you know. And so during this time, I was, you know, still out in the streets, still staying up late at night, you know, not getting any sleep, smoking meth, you know, just doing stupid shit, you know. And so there was this one night I remember um, it was a party and it was inside the homies' apartment buildings, Arthur's apartment buildings, there was a party on the second floor. And on the second floor, there was a girl that lived there, and I'm not going to say any names, but she lived on the second floor. She was throwing a party. And there was another girl up there with her, and I'm pretty sure it was her friend. I know for a fact it was her friend, you know, and so she was looking out the window or whatever, looking down at me. So I'm looking up at her, and I'm like, oh, she's kind of cute, whatever. You know, and so I go and I'm like, hey, can I come up to the party? I ask her friend and her friend's like, yeah, you know. And so I get the girl's name or whatever, you know, and she's like, yeah, my name's Liddy, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, nice to meet you type thing, you know. And so, um, yeah, that and anybody knows me and knows about my story, you know, Liddy's um, my first daughter's mom, you know, and so. I met her, and she was chill, you know, and uh, we started hanging out more and more, you know. She didn't like the dudes that I was hanging out with because she knew they was from 18th Street, you know, and she knew that we didn't do anything but smoke weed, hang out, drink, and smoke meth, you know, and so she didn't really like, you know, that whole environment, you know, and I tried to bring her more and more around the block, but that wasn't her. She had a job, you know, and she had, you know, goals of her own, you know, so 
during this time, I was still homeless. So what Liddy was doing was she was sneaking me in her bed through her bedroom window while her dad was still living there, you know. And so just because I didn't have a place to sleep and she didn't want me to stay out in the streets. So she was sneaking me through the bedroom window and then her dad would catch me and kick me out and I'll just keep going back, you know. And so um, finally, the dad let me stay. You know, he was like, look, if you're going to stay here, you got to get a job, you know. And so he ended up letting me stand. And, um, yeah, it was me, Liddy, her sister, and her brother that all lived in this, like, two-bedroom, one-bathroom, you know, duplex, whatever it was, you know. And so I was standing there, you know, trying to keep a job but still fucking up, you know, and um, still smoking shit, you know. And so Liddy came to me one day. She was like, look. She was like, look, I'm, I love you, but if you're going to keep smoking this shit, then it's time for you to go. If you're not going to get your shit together and take it seriously, then you got to go. You know, and so I was me being me like a hard ass or whatever. And, you know, so I was like, well, fuck it, I'll go, you know. And so I packed my things, left the house and where'd I go? Like Straight back to the block because that was all I knew. You know, anybody that lived on that block you know, in the valley during those days knew what that block was all about. And so I just went straight back to the block, you know. And so um, I remember just um, looking for somebody to let me into the house, couldn't find anybody. Um, so I went looking for more drugs or whatever. I found drugs or whatever. And so uh, the first person I ran, in through, ran into on the block was Arthur, you know. And so I'm like, hey, homie, I got some shit. You know, let's go smoke. You know, and so I was fiending for that drug. But in the back of my head, I kept. I kept remembering what lady told me, like, look, either you clean your shit up or you got to go, you know. And so I was remembering that. And so I had like this huge like. Like, I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but I just felt bad inside, you know, and so. I remember um, finding out through and we went to the empty uh it was like a laundromat in his back apartments. And it was a beat up ass laundromat or whatever, you know, and that's where most of us went to smoke drugs and whatnot. And so Arthur went in there first, got high or whatever. And so um, when he got high, he came out, you know, he, and you could see the look on his face. He was high as fuck. So it was basically my turn to go in and get high or whatever. And so, um, I, but what's crazy about this is that I remember before I went in, you know, and I remember closing my eyes, you know, and during the time I wasn't a real religious person. You know, I believed in God and different things like that. But for me, religion was definitely not an option for me. You know, I just stayed in the streets, you know, hung around gang members and did stupid shit still and stuff like that. So I didn't look at, you know, Christianity or anything like that as an option, you know, but I knew that I had a problem, you know, and so I remember before going in, I remember closing my eyes, you know, and so I closed my eyes and that was the first actual time I really prayed, you know, I'm not trying to get religious on anybody out there that's listening, you know, but it was the first time me as an individual, I prayed, you know, out of all the shit that I've been through, through um, foster care, growing up and watching my mom get abused and beaten, you know, living through my sister getting sexually abused, you know, and different things like that. Out of all this screwed up shit that happened through my life, you know, I had never prayed before. 
But I knew at this day, like, it was time to pray. I don't know. It was just a feeling, you know, because I had come to the end of the rope. It was the bottom of the bottoms for me. You know, there was nowhere else to go but up, you know. And so I closed my eyes and prayed. And all I said was, like, God, like, I don't want to do this no more, you know. And so when I opened my eyes, you know, after praying that prayer, you know, and if you're a fiend, you know, I don't give a fuck what drug you tried before, whether it's heroin, whether it's crack, whether it's weed, whether it's meth, you know what it means to fiend for something, you know. And so I was fiending, you know, but this particular time when I opened my eyes, like it was like I had never done the drug ever, ever before, you know. Like that fiending, like that addiction, like that fucking I need to hit this shit right now. It went away, you know. And so when it went away, it kind of shocked me because I didn't know what had happened. I just knew I prayed, you know, and it was like I had never done a drug before. And so I looked at Arturo and I was like, you know, I looked down at his hand and he's still trying to hand me the drugs. And I just looked up and was like no, you know what? I'm good. You know? And so it was funny because he had a look on his face, like, what the fuck? You know, like I just smoked. We about to get high, get in there, you know? And so I was like, no, bro, I'm good. Like, I'm gonna just go home. And so I turned, you know, and I, I went, I started walking home, you know? And, um, this part is real pivotal because it was the last time I ever went to the block, you know? And so, um, it was big, you know, and I remember the day that I last did drugs, you know, and the reason why I'm telling you guys this is because two years later, after I quit on that same day, my first baby girl was born on that same exact day that I quit. Some people might call that a miracle. Some people might call it whatever it is you want to call it, but my eyes and in my heart and in my mind is nobody but God, you know. And so what are the chances of me quitting and being at the bottom of my rope and at the bottom of the bottoms two years later, my baby girl being born on that day, you know. And so it was a blessing for me, you know. Um, and... After my daughter was born, that was basically, you know, when my life started to change for the better, you know. Um, I don't care who you are, you know, you can be the toughest of the toughs, the fucking gangbanger, the one that out there and fucking smoke anybody, you know, but it's nothing like having a child, you know, or and that alone, a baby girl, you know. You know that that child will change your life and you do anything and everything to make sure that child will always be okay, so... I looked at that and I was like, well, you know, I got a child now and this, you know, I'm going to do everything and anything to continue fighting for her, you know. And so my baby girl, she changed my life being brought into this world. And I got a job, you know, I was working security, you know, and who wants to be a fucking rental cop, right? You know, and so, um, but I didn't care, you know, and so I just kept my focus on her. You know, and so she inspired me to continue to grow. My daughter did, you know, and um, I became, you know, a better individual, a better human being. You know, I started um, 
a little bit going to church. I started reading my Bible a little bit more, you know, and uh, my life just started to change from there, you know. And so um, that was it, man. You know, that was just me, like my trials going through life, you know. Um, I had made it through so much, you know, now that I'm looking back, surviving foster care, you know, surviving being abused, surviving being sexually abused, surviving gangs, hanging out with gang members, surviving, you know, not getting shot, you know, surviving not going to jail and getting locked up in prison my whole life, you know, um, just triumph after triumph after triumph, you know, making it through my life, you know, and so um, that's where we go into that, you know, um, I had finally made it, finally made it and became a better person because of my daughter, you know, and those of you who know me and know something about me knows I'm a hashtag girl dad, you know, and so now I have, you know, three beautiful daughters, you know, and my journey just continued to grow, you know, and I never went back to drugs, you know, um, so November 17th, 2006 was the last time I smoked crystal meth, you know, um, and yeah, two years later, my baby girl was born on that day. And so it changed my life forever, you know, and so I'll always be grateful. I always feel blessed to God, you know, and for those stories, you know, and everything that he brought me through. You know, but like I said, I'm not trying to get religious on anybody. It's just my story and it's my story to tell, you know. And so I thank you guys for listening, you know, um, and this is it. This was the final episode, you know, um, of everything that I've been through through my life. So um, thank you guys for listening. Um, Like I said, love one another, you know, support one another, um, pass the story on. Whether you're listening, please share it, you know, and my message to anybody out there, if you're going through anything, if you're going through struggles or anything like that, you know, just continue to persevere. Don't give up, you know, don't give up on life. You know, there's beautiful things that come out of, you know, being forged in fire, you know, um, out of, you know, and there's this saying I remember that my uncle used always that what don't kill you make you stronger, you know, and so I think me not dying through all those trials that I've been through, it definitely made me stronger and it definitely made me into the human being that I am today, you know? And so for that, I'm forever blessed. And for that, I'm forever thankful, you know? Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you guys. Until then, love one another.